child of God. I don't have any pretenses. I'm not trying to achieve any great thing. I just want to feel the blessings of God and the anointing of God. Amen. And I want to be who God has called me to be. Some descriptions of this feel like, and people have noted, feels like an animal in a cage, a toy in a shop window, a Barbie doll, a public facade, a clay figure. Being famous is variously described as leaving the person feeling very lonely and not secure. Those images many times that you think of fame and fortune are not people that are satisfied, but they're people that are very lonely. You have a bubble over you. Family space is violated. A sense of being watched. Living in a fishbowl. Living in a locked room. And a familiarity that breeds inappropriate closeness. Yet, despite all of that, despite all of those things, and by the way, I do want to be famous, but I want to be famous in God's eyes. <laughs> I do want fame, but I want it to be God's attention in my life and his anointing in my life. Yet while the celebrity experience many negative side effects of fame, there is a, an allure of wealth and access and preferential treatment and public adoration. And as one celebrity put it, membership in an exclusive club keeps the famous per person stuck in the perpetual need to keep their fame machine burning. But the unfortunate truth to that is that for each and every celebrity, the fame machine can only churn for so long. One former famous child star revealed, I've been addicted to almost every substance known to man at one point or another. And the most addicting of them all is fame. I want to say to you tonight that we should learn to be content with where you are and what you have. Don't take on the victim mentality that is destructive and doesn't help you or anybody else. Rather, thank God for what you have and where he is going to take you because he wants to take you somewhere. God, I thank you that I'm in the house of God. I thank you that I've got my right mind. I thank you that I'm clothed and there's food on the table and I get to come to the house of God and feel the blessing of God. I'm thankful thankful, thankful. I've got a joy that is unspeakable and full of I'm blessed. I got here into this place because of your blessing upon my life. And I love you and praise you. Anybody thankful for the house of God? Anybody thankful for the people of God? Anybody thankful for the church of God? Amen. You have purpose. You have destiny. You have a calling that is derived from his word. Amen. What are you chasing? What are you chasing tonight? I'm chasing tonight a move of the Holy Ghost. Amen. What are you quickly after? I'm quickly after God's anointing in his presence and his ability. I'm quickly after the miracle working God. That's what I am chasing. Amen. I want his anointing to saturate and to permeate. I'll tell you what I'm chasing. I'm chasing revival. I want to see people filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to see people baptized in Jesus' name. I want to see prodigals coming back to the house of God. I want to see revival breaking out in families. I want to see miracles that take place where people say there was no way that that could ever happen 
heaven if it were not for the anointing and goodness of God. Hallelujah. I want to see God do wonderful, great, marvelous, mighty things, signs, miracles. Hallelujah. We should be a people that continually chases after revival. What are you chasing? I want you to listen to the story of Felipe Pettit. Felipe Pettit. He is the man on wire. Pettit was born in France. His father was an author and an army pilot. At an early age, he discovered magic and juggling, and he loved to climb. And at 16, at the age of 16, he took his first steps on a tightrope wire and changed his entire world. And he envisioned some fantastic scheme that would overtake the general sensibilities both of his craft, tightrope walking, and people. He wanted to do something so profound. And while he was 18, sitting in a dentist's office, he opened a magazine and saw in the magazine the construction of the Twin Towers in New York City. He read this in 1968, sitting in the dentist's office. He was seized by the idea of performing there, and he started collecting articles on the towers whenever he could. He wanted to tightrope on the top of the World Trade Centers. Got this idea in the dentist office. And so he started doing research. What was called the artistic crime of the century took Felipe six years of planning, six years of planning. During this period, he learned everything that he could about the buildings and their construction. They weren't completed. They were still building the trade towers. He started performing high wire walking at other famous places, rigging his wire secretly. He performed as a combination of circus act and public display. This became his entire thinking, and for six years he he worked toward this. In 1971, he performed such a walk between the towers of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. While priests were being ordained inside the building, Felipe was tightrope walking in between the towers. Of course, this is illegal activity. In 1973, he walked a wire rigged between the two north pylons of the Sydney Harbour Bridge in Sydney, Australia. He was planning, he was plotting, he was thinking, he was trying to do the artistic crime of the century. In planning the Twin Towers walk, he had to deal with issues. Obviously, these towers are very tall, the swaying of the high towers due to the wind because of their design. The effects of wind and weather on the wire at that height. How was he going to rig a 200-foot steel cable across 138 feet between the towers at a height of 1,368 feet? And 
How do you gain access to the top? And how do you get your collaborators, your help up there? So he started scoping out the conditions and he started staging the project. They had to get heavy equipment to the rooftop. And so he traveled to New York on numerous occasions, scoping all of this out, making firsthand observations, sitting and writing notes about who goes in and who goes out. While these towers were still under construction, a New York-based photographer, Jim Moore, rented a helicopter and took aerial photo photographs of the buildings so that he could do more research. Jean-Francois and Jean-Louise helped him practice in a field in France. He set up the same measurements, the distance. He practiced. He took those photographs, figured out how you were going to get the cable across. The only way to get the cable across was to have people to help you. They figured out a bow and arrow would be the way to do it. And they practiced with the bow and arrow with a thin filament line that would shoot out first, and then they would pull the rest of the cable over. Six years he worked on this. Pettit and his crew, Felipe, gained entry into the towers several times. And they hid in the upper floors and on the roofs of the unfinished buildings to study the security measures. They also analyzed the construction and they identified places to anchor the wire. He constructed a scale model to, uh, of the towers to design and where the rigging would need to be placed for the wire rock. He made fake identification cards for himself and his friends. They claimed that they were contractors who were installing an electrified fence on the roof. And he made identification cards. He carefully observed the clothes worn by the construction workers and the tools that they carried. He took note of the clothing of office workers so that some of his friends could pose as white-collar workers. He observed what time the workers arrived and left so he could determine when he could make it to the roof and have access. As the target date of his, he called it a coup. He was kind of kooky. He claimed to be a journalist with the magazine Metropolis, a French architecture magazine, so that he could gain permission to interview the workers on the roof and the port authority allowed him to conduct the interviews, which he used as a pretext to make more observations. On August the 6th, 1974, in the night, right when everyone was leaving, he and his crew got a lucky break and got a ride in the freight elevator to the 110th floor with their equipment. They stored at 19 steps below the roof and to pass the cable across that void, they had to use, as I have told you, a bow and arrow attached to a rope. It was dark. They had to practice this many times. They could not really see. They shot first across a fishing line, which was attached to larger ropes. They couldn't find it because it's so thin. It's a thin filament 
So Felipe took off his clothes, hoping that he would brush across some part of his body with it. Ironically, he came across the filament at the edge of the tower. So then they stretched it out taunt, and then they pulled across the 450-pound steel cable, which sank too fast and had to be pulled up manually for hours. Shortly after 7 a.m. local time, they've been working at this all night. They've been up all night. Felipe Pettit stepped out on the wire and started to perform. He was 1,350 feet above the ground. He performed 45 minutes. He made eight passes along the wire, during which he walked, danced, lay down on the wire, and knelt to salute watchers. Crowds gathered on the streets below. He said later he could hear their murmurings and their cheers. When the New York Police Department learned of his stunt, they came to the roof of both buildings to try to persuade him to get off the wire and threatened to take a helicopter up there to remove him. The officer, when writing the police report, simply wrote on the report, man on wire. And his high wire walk is credited with bringing the Twin Towers much needed attention, even affection, as they initially had been very, very unpopular. I know you're trying to get your head around something like that, so I brought a few pictures. Do you want to see him? All right. Felipe walking in between the twin towers that were still being built. Oh, there he is lying down up there. And there he is getting arrested. <laughs> they didn't charge him with any crime. It became such a deal. People in 19, I mean, 1974, this was unheard of. Passerbyers on the street looking up were amazed. And this created popularity and fame. And so all they asked him to do was perform in Central Park the same kind of stunt, but yet a little lower to the ground for all of the children. And this was noticed and called Man on Wire, Felipe Pettit. There's a reason for me giving you this whole story. As you can imagine, for six years and a lot of friends and a lot of inside help, there were inside help, this meticulous planning included a lot of people that really, really had to stretch themselves and sacrifice for his efforts. Some couldn't do it. Some walked away and said, I, 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 I can't be privy to this. There was another occasion in 1999, an investor, an investor paid to have Felipe 
cross the Grand Canyon on a wire. The investor thought it would be a grand idea, but when he got to the site and he walked over where he was going to see Felipe walk, he pulled all of his funding. He said, I'm not going to do this. It's going to send this man to his death. And he crawled away from the side of the Grand Canyon. This is an amazing feat, this man on the wire. A lot of people had to be involved in, in doing things that stretched themselves. Many of them didn't know if they would be arrested, go to prison, what it entailed. All of this, six years of putting models and practicing and bow and arrows, and there was a team that was assembled, and all of this took meticulous planning, and there was, there was fame that came to Felipe after this event. But the reason why I'm telling you this story story here is because fame cratered every single one of those relationships and all of those people got left behind when Felipe did what he did. The man on the wire forgot who helped him pull off his feet. And so when it was all said and done, everybody that extended themselves, everybody that sacrificed time and effort and fear of the unknown, whether or not he was going to survive or live, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is craziness. And they extended themselves to try to help him. And when he achieved his fame and when he achieved his success, he walked away from every single one of those friendships. This was the man on the wire. Have you ever been left behind? I pulled up here when Peyton was little. We were doing a youth event. I pulled up here, pulled in here. I parked. We ran into the side chapel. We were talking about stuff. I looked around and realized that he was not anywhere to be found. Scared me to death. I ran outside. I started screaming, yelling for him. And then I heard this little voice he was still in the vehicle. He was still in his car seat. The greatest nightmare that can ever happen is a parent that's in a, in a department store and looks around and all of a sudden your child is nowhere to be found. Oh, another happening that was even probably more traumatic than that. We were in Lake Tahoe in this big hotel. We were standing around. Sister Karen, you will never forget this, Emma. You will never forget this. We were standing around talking. And everybody was talking in the elevators. This thing was, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 stories high. And the elevators were right there. We were standing there. We were getting ready to go to the room. Well, he decided to dart into the elevator. And so the only thing that we heard, we were so busy in the conversation, is, as the elevator took him somewhere, we didn't know where. We, 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 we franicked. We didn't know what to do. Well, we pushing the button, but, you know, the elevator, where's the elevator going? Some gentleman found him on one of the floors and took him down to the front desk. Those are things that you will never forget because being left is not a, is not a happy feeling. Being left, whether it's on purpose or not, is not a good thing. Anybody ever been there? Joseph and Mary forgot Jesus. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. 
Luke chapter 2 and verse 41 tells us that they were in Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover when he was 12 years old. And when they fulfilled the days, they returned and they traveled for, it says here in your Bible, they traveled for three days before they recognized. He's not with us. We've left him. We have forgotten him. How, how, how do you do that? Well, you get so busy. You're not thinking. You think everybody's with you. and Everybody's along for the ride. And then all of a sudden, you realize he's not along for the ride. So they go back to the temple, and they find the 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple in the midst of doctors, and he's hearing them, and he's asking them questions. And, 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 and so they get on to him a little bit. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 2 and verse, 49 he said how is it that you sought me wished you not that I must be about my father's business where the man on the wire which is representative of all humanity because if you put all your trust in humanity somewhere at some point humanity's going to let you down that's the man on the wire and that's the representation of people even in their very best intentions sometime don't measure up but I'm here to tell you tonight in the house of God that there is one that will always measure up. His scripture that we read said that he would never leave you nor would he forsake you. It doesn't matter what difficulty you might find yourself in. God is there. He's walking with you. It doesn't matter if you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. It doesn't matter if you're facing death or new beginnings. God is a God that is in the midst of everything that you find yourself in here. He's not the man on the wire. He's not the man that will forget you and walk away from you. No, he's the man on the cross. And there's a big, big difference between the man on the wire that wants fame and the man on the cross that wants to see you saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God what happens behind this holy desk is foolishness to some people but it's not foolishness to those who have been saved and redeemed from a devil's hell and a sin that would destroy I don't want the world I don't want the things of the world I want preaching that is able to reach out and pull me out of the mind Irie Clay doesn't walk away from me, doesn't leave me, but gives me hope. Hallelujah. Come on, let's thank him right now. God, you're a great God. You're able to pluck us out. You're able to deliver us. Hallelujah. This was no six-year process, but this was from the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things 
things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth it wasn't a six year process it was from the beginning of time that God envisioned not a heist not a failure not a robbery not something against the law but something that was going to save humanity one of these days said God from the very beginning I'm going to dwell and inhabit in a human body in a human form that's going to be the ultimate sacrifice that is going to save people from their sins and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory not man on a wire for six years but a man on the cross who was God that created all things and gave breath and life to all things and created life and gave life he's the man on the cross He's the man on the cross. This was not the endeavor for self-grandizement, man on wire. This wasn't for fame and self-promotion, man on wire. This was man on cross. For Paul said, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him if you're looking for salvation you need to find man on the cross that is able to save you from your sins nobody else can do it nobody else can solve it nobody else can provide what you need but he's the perfect lamb of God that is able to take the sin of the world away and give you the ability to lift up your hands and worship him and praise him I think we could do that right now God I thank you for washing and cleansing every sin expiating and removing every stain washing me in a name that's above every name and bringing healing to my body mind soul emotions and spirit oh we need to give him thanks we need to praise him and magnify him he's not man on wire but he is man on cross Man on the cross was to be the ultimate sacrifice to take away sin. John said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Mm, first Peter said it this way in 118, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Uh, but with the precious blood of Christ. Mm, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily, what? Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Try to get your head around that. I don't understand that. Some people say, well, why couldn't he just start from the beginning? And Jesus starts from the beginning. I, I can't comprehend that. I don't know how from the beginning it transpires that God has a plan from the very beginning that he is going to come in the form of humanity. 
But if he didn't, if it all started from the New Testament, we would have no understanding of what the law is. We'd have no understanding of what the sacrifice would be. We would have no understanding of what takes away sin and expiates sin. We would have no understanding of all that legal system. We would have no understanding of any of that. But in the house of God tonight, we recognize you don't have to bring a lamb, a bullock, a goat, a turtle dove, a grain offering. You don't bring any of those things. You just bring the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The perfect lamb. You bring Jesus Christ into this place and he becomes the ultimate sacrifice. You don't have to go kill anything because he was killed once and for all. The ultimate sacrifice. Does anybody, anybody, anybody in this place recognize the price and the cost and the time it took and the preparation and all the thought that goes into Calvary? And ladies and gentlemen, when he gets to Calvary and he's lifted up it's not fame that he was looking after and he's not going to leave you either but he's going to bring empowerment to you and strength to you and healing to you and forgiveness to you and mercy to you and deliverance to you oh there's great great reason in the house of God to thank him in this place His purpose was not to forget you. Man on wire. His purpose was to empower you. The report that the police signed said, man on wire. I mean, it wasn't significant enough for whoever that guy was. Dispatch, hello. There is a guy that is hundreds of stories up in the air walking in between the ten twin towers and we can see him. He's going to die. Something needs to be done, 911. And the dispatcher says, oh, okay, man, on wire. Couldn't you like fill out a little more information there that explains what's taking place than just man on wire? Well, Jesus, when he's put on the cross, Pilate, Pilate, Pilate has the power of the pen to pin the report on the cross. And John says that he does. And this is what he says. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the Jews didn't like that. They said, no, 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 no. You need to write that he said that he was the king of the Jews. Not that he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. And what he wrote is, in fact, the correct report. Because Jesus <laughs> is the king of the Jews. And not only that, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And not only that, 
He's the Alpha and the Omega. And not only that, he's the beginning and the ending. And not only that, he's a sovereign God. He's a worthy God. He's an invisible God. He was God manifested in the flesh. He's my provider. He's my strength. He's my healer. Anybody hearing what I'm saying here in this house, that same Jesus is your Jesus. And your Jesus is my Jesus. He's the man on the cross. He didn't come to forget you, but he came to walk with you. Hallelujah. He came to empower you. This was a sacrifice, not of a century. This was a sacrifice of history. I think it would be fully appropriate that we would lift our hands and say, God, you still are the King of Kings and you still are the Lord of Lords. As the musicians come to this platform, God, you're worthy to receive praise. You're the lion of Judah. Praise God. You are the root and offspring of King David and Judah. You're worthy. His intention as we stand tonight was never to forget you, never to leave you behind, never to reject you, never to disregard you. Jesus came to save you. Praise God. Maybe you're here tonight and you question like the disciples. The two on the road to Emmaus. They were walking away from Jerusalem. They thought it was over. It was done. The man on the cross had died. They put him in a tomb. So they were packing everything up. They were disappointed. Their heads were hung down. They were walking away from Jerusalem till somebody joined their journey. They told them everything. They told them about how disappointed they were. They told them about their expectations. It wasn't until they made it to the village and they sat down to break bread that when Jesus broke the bread, they were enlightened and they realized, hey, wait a minute. He's not in a tomb somewhere, but he is a God that is alive and he is living. Praise God. Maybe you feel that way tonight. Circumstances in life and feels like things have left you by. In our text scripture that we read here, Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Maybe, maybe you're like Thomas. Thomas said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe until I have the ability to put my hand into his side, until I'm able to put my finger into the print of the nails. I'm, I'm not going to believe. Jesus appears, says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Thomas answered, and said, my Lord and my God.
Man on wire is the human achievement and at the same time, disappointment. Man on the cross is redemption and salvation. Others may leave, others may walk away, but Jesus is ferocious even to death on the cross to project you further. He said, I've come that you might have power and life more abundantly. The Holy Ghost is going to be in your life, not to leave you, but to empower you. You shall be witnesses after you receive the Holy Ghost. God hasn't left you, but is walking with you every step of the way. I don't know what situation you may have here in this place tonight. I'm sure in this place, there's a lot of different circumstances, a lot of pain and anguish, and we live in difficult times. But know this in the house of God that he promised that no matter what you go through, you're facing difficult things ahead of you, know that God walks with you. You've come out of things, know that God was there every step of the way. Hallelujah. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Some of you in this place are going through seasons of disorientation. It feels like the world is upside down. There's a loss and there's grief associated with it. And there's a lot of stuff, hallelujah, that could really, really mess with our minds. But in the house of God tonight, God came to this place to deliver to you a message that no matter what you may face and the circumstances and days that take place tomorrow and weeks and probably even years and even at that you may never get over some things God is still there and what is he there to do not to leave you but to empower you to tell you you can make it my anointing is with you my ability is with you I'm going to walk with you Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord together in this house and in this place. Lord, I thank you and praise you that you're on my side, that you'll walk with me. Hallelujah. I thank you for the peace of God and the 